He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs. Because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. He is vengeance. He is the knight. He is maybe the most psychologically troubled popular superhero. And the topic of our episode today, he is the... The Batman. Let's go. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. How do I live now with the fear and the pain of my past? Can I really be good in a cruel, violent, unjust world? How do I respond to all this corruption and evil that I see around me? How can I protect the ones I love from it? And what defines who I truly am? You're in, a treat, in for a treat today, listeners, because our guest today is Jake Kim, psychologist and co-host of the Restore the Glory podcast. And we're going to talk about the psychology and the spirituality of Batman. My name is Mike Tenney. I am a Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade teaching in Catholic education during the day while trying to make it famous as a rock star at night. And now I host Pop Culture Catechism and I'm a, I'm a speaker and worship leader and I love talking with people about the things that matter as well as things like Batman, which seem like they don't matter, but they also have some lessons for us. So my hope for you is that by the end of this episode of Pop Culture Catechism, you're going to not only have a greater appreciation for Batman, but you're also going to be able to have some things that you can take and put into your life so that you can love yourself and experience God's love more and also share that love with the people around you. This is Pop Culture Catechism, the gospel according to pop music and movies. A special thank you to our patrons who make this show possible. Patrons, don't forget after this show to go to the Awaken app and check out the patron exclusive content for this episode where me and Nick De La Torre will be talking about the Batman, the new Batman that just came out a few days ago. So we're going to be talking about Batman, all, all the various incarnations of Batman, uh, just the character himself. But this will be a spoiler-free episode if you haven't seen The Batman, the Robert Pattinson Batman that came out uh, just this year. So uh, I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Jake Kim. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm really excited that you had me. Nice, nice little riff on the guitar. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I've been listening to the Restore of the Glory podcast. Um, so uh, Alina, who's the, the, the wife of the president of Awaken Catholic, last time I was out here filming, she said, there's this podcast called Restore the Glory. You got to check it out. It's so good. So I, I gave it a listen and it's like rocked my world. Like, <laughs> I, I cannot tell you, like I've been, I've been just so many, like I, I feel like I grew up pretty like with pretty great parents, pretty well adjusted, doing all right. But, and then you guys are bringing all this stuff up. I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> I've got, I've got some work to do. And, and, and the, my listeners are used to hearing me get a little vulnerable. I actually, for the past couple months have been going to therapy, which I'd never done before in my life. And it's because of your show and I've been working through some stuff and it's, it's kind of been kicking my butt and, uh, but it's, 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 it's really good. So I, I am super grateful for your ministry. So tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do for the listeners that don't know you. Yeah, thank you. Um, my name is uh, Jake Kim. Like you said, I live uh, just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I'm a husband to Heather Kim, but I like to jokingly call her the Heather Kim because uh, 
she has a pretty cool podcast called Abiding Together that people know about. Um, I'm the father of three kids. I have a 19-year-old Maria, a 16-year-old Judah, and a 15-year-old Eva. Um, love being a dad, love being a husband. Um, that's where a lot of my stuff has come up to where I've needed to address my own uh, garbage. Um, but anyway, I run a ministry called Life Restoration Ministries. Um, it's in that ministry that we really try to help people become fully alive. So we work in evangelization and formation, and we're really trying to awaken people and restore people to who Jesus is, as well as to who they were made to be. Um, and so I, I get to work in all kinds of settings, and I have a private counseling practice. I've done that for about 20 years and do a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So. Well, thank you for your ministry. I feel like uh, as as one of your digital patients, I've I've, I've reaped uh, a lot of the rewards for your your openness and your vulnerability in your heart. So just thank you for what you're doing. And uh, listeners, if you're looking for um, a podcast that will help you go deeper into the spiritual life and your inner, your inner life. Um, I highly recommend restore the glory. So, but we're here to talk about Batman. So Batman started in 1939 and he actually didn't have his own comic book. He actually started as part of a comic book on DC comics called detective stories. So the first Batman appearance was in detective stories in 1939. And then very shortly after that, 1940, he got his own comic book. And then since then he's been in movies. There's been several TV, TV shows, the Adam West TV show from the 60s, um, Batman the Animated Series when I was growing up, and that was where I really got to love Batman and lots of Justice League since, and um, so so many different incarnations from Michael Keaton to George Clooney and Val Kilmer. We don't really talk about those. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, and, uh, Christian Bale, the reboot, the Christian, the Christian, Chris. Christopher Nolan uh, movies. I just rewatched yeah. those recently. They're really good. Back about ten years ago, and then uh, Ben Affleck the last few years in the in the DC comics, and now Robert Pattinson in the Batman, which is more of a. I feel like they're always giving us a darker, grittier Batman. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, that's totally true. Yeah. The last one wasn't dark and gritty enough. You know. <laughs> If I had to pick just one, I did like the, I'll, I'll talk more about the Batman movie in the, in the Patreon exclusive. I don't want to spoil it for people. I didn't like it, but I still think the Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale, Batman for me is like Batman par excellence. And if I had to pick just like, if, if somebody didn't know anything about Batman and wanted to know it, I'd be like, watch Batman Begins. That is like, for me, top to bottom, it's the most thorough. It's the most cohesive. It's the best. So, yeah. Amen to that. You agree? <laughs> I think totally by far the best one. But anyway, okay, I'm sure we'll get yeah. to that. But you haven't you haven't seen the new one yet, have you? No. Okay. I, well, it just came out, right? Yeah, it just came out. So when 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 you you'll 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 have to let me know um, what you, what you think. All right. So um, let's just talk before we get into some of the themes. Let's just talk artistically. Like, what what do you like about Batman? You know, I've I've always been a superhero fan. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think that's just fascinating to begin with like the cultural interest in superheroes and all that but we'll set that aside for a sec but what i love about batman is that he's like the one superhero where it's possible right it's kind of possible that it you know an uber wealthy guy who basically becomes like a, a ninja almost or is trained by these secret people and i'm like it's kind of possible like superman that's just not going to happen uh, unless we don't know about somebody out there but uh the I love it because it's like this could happen. This could actually so it's a it's more believable to me. Um, 
I would have to say agree totally about the the Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale. The what I loved about that is it was a bit more realistic. Um, now I'm going outside the Batman genre a little bit to talk about mm-hmm. the Joker. The oh yeah, Joker. yeah, that's so fine. Being a mental health person, I was fascinated by that movie. I mm-hmm. thought that was incredible. It, that was like the making of the Joker. I was pretty. That's really dark. And, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I love that it's kind of real and it's uh, a, a little bit realistic. And I love how it's evolved into the to me the par excellence, like you said. Nice. Well, I mean, we can, we can talk about the Joker a little long. Let's let's start with Batman, and then we'll see where we get. But I would, I think we can we can talk about the Joker. I, I love uh, exactly what you said. Like, um, I love that it could possibly happen, and I love the more realistic Batman, kind of like the Christian Bale and, and the Robert Pattinson Batman was very much in that same vein. Um, the the Adam West Batman, it's a little campy, and um, I, I think the uh, Batman and Robin, which I think was George Clooney, like I think that's the worst. Yeah. Even as a middle schooler, I think I remember thinking to myself, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I, like Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, ice to meet you. And uh, at one point, he, he ices the streets and Batman and Robin look at each other and kind of nod and they click their heels and ice skates pop out. And then they like start ice skating. It's just like so ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I definitely like the more realistic Batman. Um, yeah. And I mentioned this before, but Batman the Animated Series, I think, is it's 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 a sort of show. It's, it was made for kids, but I think adults can appreciate it. And just just really well done. So that's what I kind of grew up on. Um, all right. And anything else artistically you like about Batman before we get into the I, themes? Not to get, I feel like you and I could talk about this for like a whole hour. So yeah. I resist. Uh-huh. I'm going to I'll pause. Cause OK. I know we're probably trying to go to other places. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, all right. So the, I think the. As I was rewatching the Christian Bale movies, and I was looking up YouTube videos, I even rewatched the one of the Michael Keaton movies in in preparation for this, and uh, then I saw the Robert Pattinson one. And if I had to narrow down Batman's like key, the key question, I think I would phrase it this way: is like, how do we respond to evil in the world? What is the proper response to to evil when? We see it when bad things happen to us. How do we respond? And I'm wondering if you, as as just a Catholic man, but also as a psychologist, like how do you how do you help people walk through this when there's been this evil in their life and this pain in their life? Hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's a yeah that's a serious turn for I mean because when you see the evil that people have suffered firsthand, it's one thing to hear a story or to watch it in a movie, but when you're sitting with someone and they're talking to you about, you know, some of the worst things that have happened to them and they're just, they turn your stomach because they're so bad. Um, I found that one of the things that actually, it seems insignificant, but it's actually not. And that's presence. It seems like just being with somebody doesn't have any effect on them, but it's completely not true. I, I've underestimated over the years the power of simply being with someone who's in pain. It's amazing because the feeling of being alone with evil is a million times worse than being with somebody in evil. Um, And so being with people is a major part of what I do when I'm uh, helping somebody. But that's just kind of the initial uh, response, I guess you'd say. But I think another thing that I've noticed when it comes to evil these days and just the the struggles that people are having is I, I kind of turn it and I go, I feel like something that 
we all really could benefit from is what um, the culture kind of is talking about this and the psychological world is talking about it a little bit, and that's mental and emotional resilience. And I feel like the culture is doing a disservice to a lot of us, but especially young people. By young people, I mean like, you know, under 30. Um, and so there's a lot of emphasis right now on like micro aggressions, micro traumas, micro everything. And it doesn't mean that those things don't impact you because they do. That, that That's not dismissing the experience at all. But as we zoom in and and emphasize every little time somebody hurt my feelings, the problem with that is that you grow into a space of feeling like I should be able to feel good 100% of the time around any person, around anything. And that's just simply not life. That's not the reality of the world that we live in. Now, we should never have to deal with like, you know, like we call it capital T trauma, like really, really bad stuff. Um, no one should ever have to deal with that. Even the lesser stuff, it's not like we're supposed to deal with it, but resilience is a real thing. And I, I just feel like people, they become the victim of their circumstances instead of learning. And there's really ways to learn how to um, grow through difficulties that you've suffered. Um, this is a bit cheesy and I'm referencing another movie, but it's really true. If you, if you remember the movie, the lion King, yes, cartoon, we, we did an episode on the lion King. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. That's like a whole, that's like a massively intense. Okay. So we could have a whole nother talk about, lion uh -huh. King, but there's a scene in lion King where he's run away from who he is. And then he's, uh, and the, the monkey, uh, Rafiki, Rufi Rufiki. Yeah. Mm. So, he he catches him and he goes and he goes through all the weeds and he goes through all those difficult things and then he's remember who you are and he comes back and he talks about his past he goes you can learn from it or you can like get stuck in it and so he bonks him on the head with his staff and then he ducks the next time as he swings it and i'm like that's what i'm talking about with mental resilience it mm -hmm. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt that's not trying to dismiss that it doesn't hurt but if we just keep letting things hurt us we stay in this position of never having the capacity to work through things. Um, and that's something I feel like is a real disservice that we're doing to people these days is not acknowledging bad things happen, but helping them learn how to navigate through them so that you build resilience. All right. So there's, there's two things you mentioned. You mentioned presence, which is like, if I hear what you're saying, you're saying like, this is a way that you can help people who have gone through trauma. And if you've gone through trauma, like maybe find some people that can be present with you. Um, and then you talked about resilience. So let's do presence first. So presence, it's interesting that you bring that up because what does Batman do? He isolates himself, right? Yep. He has yep. Arthur and that's it. Really? Maybe he lets Catwoman in a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe he lets Talia al Ghul in a little bit, you know, maybe there's, there's a few little people, but most of the part time he isolates himself. I am one man. I am the knight, you know, and i he thinks he's protecting people. And I've, I've, I've struggled with that too. Like, and my wife and I were just having this conversation the other day that, uh, you know, me listening to restore the glory and also going to therapy for the first time. Like it's, I, I'm like kind of in a fragile place the last couple months <laughs> and, and like stuff is coming out and she's like, this is really good that you're like sharing this with me. It helps me love you better. And I'm like, but I am a man. And let me tell you something about being a man. I am strong and I don't have emotions. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's a real temptation to me is to, to be the happy guy, to be, you know, to, to not have that strength, to not 
always be showing that outward strength. It can be a real mask that we wear. So I think that's something we can learn from Batman is don't isolate ourselves. Like we're not, we're not being a burden we're, and by going to other people and we're not protecting those people by isolating ourselves. Like probably we're hurting them because we're acting out in all these ways. So um, Bruce Wayne needs to your your point. Yeah. One of the things I think that's really valuable there is that notice with Batman that he's two people. He's, he's split. He's Mm -hmm. duplicitous. He can only show his strength with a mask on. Mm. And so the question is like, is it real strength? Now that's a game, maybe getting a little to, to a little bit, you know, too philosophical with Batman. But for us and, you know, in real life, it is very common that we wear masks and we feel like I have to put on this mask before I'm acceptable to somebody else. And that experience is actually an experience that makes people feel really alone. Yeah. Because they feel like you won't accept me unless I perform or do this way or, you know, do this thing or whatever. And so Batman, it's an interesting kind of examination because he's only strong when he puts on his suit. Like even in the films, like he'll disappear. And he's saying, because I'm trying to protect and hide my identity. And I think what's interesting is that for us, like healthy would mean less duplicity, less having to wear masks. And actually, and you, you, I think you're exhibiting this, which I think is really beautiful for your, you know, the your followers and listeners to see is that it actually takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable. It's not easy to be vulnerable. And I would say it's even more difficult to be vulnerable and press in and try to grow. It's not like a lot of people will be vulnerable these days and just go, I have so many problems. Uh, but but that's a different kind of vulnerability. That's like beckoning pity from mm-hmm. people yeah. versus a vulnerability that says, I'm weak and I want to grow. I'm, I'm struggling and I want to do something and I want to improve. Mm-hmm. That, that requires a lot of strength. Um, and it's not wearing masks while you're doing it. So. Mm-hmm. Good on you for doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, So let's let's flip to resilience because I think, I mean, what do you think of when you think of Batman? Like he gets through it all. You know, he takes a shotgun to the chest and he keeps going. You know, Bane breaks his back and he keeps going. You know, Robin. uh, You know, one one of the Robins gets killed by the Joker and he he keeps on going. You know, all the different various iteration things that he goes through. Like he never gives up. You know, he is the he is the knight and he he just keeps going. Um, But yet, I hear you saying that. real resilience it's 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 kind of this mean between extremes where you don't want to ignore you don't don't just sweep it under the rug that's a that's a fake strength and i think maybe that's what people in our modern culture are responding to when they when they they focus on the little things so much the small things so much is they're saying these things were swept under the rug for so long maybe by my parents i want to bring them out in the open but at the same time like it, it cannot stop there and we need to develop healthy ways to um to, to have, have some strength. And I know, I know spiritually, and uh, maybe you can comment on this psychologically for me, developing resilience spiritually has come from, 
uh, prayer, you know, making prayer like a rock solid, does not move as essential as brushing my teeth. I got to pray every day or like, I'm, I am not going to be okay today. Like if I don't brush my teeth, my breath is going to stink. And if I don't pray, I'm not going to be my best self. And it just has to be that essential. If I don't eat, I'm not going to have the energy to get through the day. And if I don't pray, if I don't take time to open up and bring my heart before God and let have some openness there for him to try to speak to me through the scriptures or spiritual reading or something like that, like that is how I have developed uh, resilience. St. Teresa of Avila, who my listeners know is, so I named my daughter Avila. Um, she talks about this interior castle that you're exploring, uh, you know, as you, as you go through the different stages of the, of the spiritual life. But what does a castle do? Uh, one, it's a protection. And two, it's where the king lives. So if you can, through prayer, develop this place where, where Christ can live within you, it's this incredible protection and resilience against what's going on. So... Yeah. The, I mean, what I love about what you're saying right there is that true resilience can only come through healthy relationships. Mm. And what you're describing is a relationship with the, the ultimate one, the ultimate King. And as you know, as he, you uh, rely on him and his capacity and then small things or smaller things. and, And often we don't feel that they're smaller, smaller, but as we work through them, you get stronger. It's a very basic principle of resistance pressed through grows strength. And and we know this from like basic exercise. Like if I want to get stronger, I have to do repeated things that have some resistance against me, but they can't have too much resistance because then I, I get defeated or I get crushed by it. Yeah. So it's like the right amount of resistance. If I can push and repeat that scenario, I actually get stronger. And, and it's the same with emotion um, and, and our thoughts in our head. So we're always going to have negative thoughts like that. That's just something we can't get away from. But learning how to navigate the negative thoughts, that's where it's really powerful. Or we're going to have off emotions, but learning how to work through those emotions, that's where you can actually get stronger because life is not meant, I don't think life is simply meant to live based on how you feel. Mm. It doesn't mean you dismiss how you feel, but that can't be your compass because that compass changes directions all day long, right? You're like, oh, I feel good. Then I don't feel good. Um, so learning how to work through a negative emotion because you, you, you want something else or something else matters to you. Um, that's really important because people aren't, you know, like people aren't always going to be nice. People are going to have off days, uh, your spouse, your friends, your dog, even right. They, not everything goes the right way, Mm -hmm. but if we can't handle anything negative, we're really quite stuck and we're really like, uh, we're imprisoned by our circumstances. And it's like, well, I can't do anything. You know, there's no hope for me. And I just, I, there, people have so much more capacity in them. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing people in my work kind of rediscover who they are. And, I, and honestly, here's another just off the topic. But the people that I've worked with who've been the most traumatized um, and the stuff that I've worked with with people are, are stuff that you can't even put in movies. It's like, it's so bad, right? You, there's no rating for it. It's It's so wow. bad they are some of the strongest people I have ever seen their capacity to keep living when these terrible, terrible things have happened. And and they walk through our world unnoticed. And 
I, I know all of us have suffered. All of us have struggled, have had suffering in our life. And the fact that we decide to keep, you know, moving forward is incredible. Like it's a sign of incredible strength and resilience. So I just want to affirm and bless the people who suffer. And that, that's all of us. Yeah. Um, and I just want to encourage anybody who's kind of going, I can't do it. There's no hope. Like one day at a time, a very simple tool is a, what's called a micro goal. Often we get overwhelmed by things and we go, oh my gosh, I can't get through this massive issue. And it seems so big and, and it's true. It's overwhelming. You can set micro goals, which are very, very small things and focus on a very small micro goal. And your, your anxiety actually will respond to what you focus on. So if you shift your focus to something smaller, your anxiety will respond and will follow your lead. When we just let our emotions go over the place, we get overwhelmed. And so that's what a little bit of like resilience is, hey, I'm not just going to let my interior castle just go crazy. I'm not going to allow everything to go bonkers. Yeah, I might, I might have some off days, but okay, I'm not going to manage this whole section right now. I'm just going to focus in this room. I want to work on this thing for now. That's way more manageable and do and, and workable. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know what I was, I was thinking of um, when you were talking about presence before is what, how does Jesus respond to the injustice in the sin in the world is he comes to be with us. Emmanuel, God is with us and he doesn't take away the suffering, at least not right away. Eventually the book of Revelation says, you know, every tear will be wiped from their eye. There will be no, no wailing or crying anymore. And on that day, you know, it'll be, it'll be amazing. But in this world, there is going to be some suffering. He promises us persecution. We're going to have to pick up our cross and carry it. But what does he do for us is he is present. He is here with us. He's gone through the worst things that anyone can go through, and he's here with us. He's gone to the the the, the depths of sin, to the depths of hell, and he is here with us in it. Um, so, and uh, something else, I've heard uh, Bishop Barron preach on this, but it comes from um, the philosopher Boethius from like the early Middle Ages. He was taking some, some pagan philosophy about the wheel of fortune. There was this whole thing about... Um, you know, you're on this wheel and sometimes you're at the top of the wheel and life is good. And sometimes you're at the bottom of the wheel and life is bad. And there, you can find these medieval frescoes of, you know, got people are different places on the wheel and you're, you're a king and then you're a beggar. And then that's just how life goes. It's, it's, it's up and down. Um, and that we see that very much reflected in some of the villains in their response in Batman uh, to face. What does he do to, to address injustice? He flips the coin, right? And there's chance. What does Joker say in, uh, in The Dark Knight? He says, there's a thing about chaos. It's fair. It's fair because everyone faces it. Now, here's where Boethius, uh, the Christian philosopher, is taking that, that pagan understanding of fortune flipping on, us, on its head is there are Christian frescoes where on that wheel of fortune, in the center is Christ, in the center is Christ. And if you focus yourself on Christ, then you're not out here on the wheel. And whatever's going on on the wheel, it doesn't matter because you're focused on Christ and you have that security and you have that fixed point where you are secure. And, you know, it doesn't, it, not that it doesn't matter because like life still sucks sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. Um, we, and we can, you know, that's, so I would say that's, that's kind of the, the Christian response to, to the Joker in Two-Face where it's like, oh, it's chance and, and, and chaos. And at least that's fair. Bad stuff has happened to me, but if we can make bad stuff happen to other people too, then it's, then, then that's some sort of 
distorted yeah. sense of justice, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. the other sort of justice I want to talk about is vengeance and revenge. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Batman, he always says, I am vengeance. And as someone who's worked with lots of hurt people, um, can, can you like talk about that? Like it, people are hurt. How, how do people, what are some unhealthy ways that people try to deal with that hurt when, you know, in vengeance and what are some, what are some healthy ways reconciliation? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. There, there's this phrase, I don't know where it comes from, but there's this phrase that goes around that, um, revenge or vengeance. Uh, I think even people use anger is like, uh, wishing someone else dead and drinking the poison that you were trying to give them. Um, and so what I found with just working with people is that when they hold on to resentment, um, it actually hurts them more than it does the other person. Cause the other person usually doesn't know like abusers and herders, they're, they're quite insensitive. That's why they did it to begin with. And so if, if we think by holding on to it, that we're going to hurt them, that usually very rarely ever happens. What I've often found about why people do that is they're, they're often trying to do something to prevent being hurt again. And so the anger is a way that sends the signal, don't mess with me. Uh, I'm not going to let this happen again. Now, that's really good and appropriate and healthy, um, you know, to stop being hurt. But, you know, taking it to the place of where you wish other people would be hurt, I've just, I haven't seen that work out too well because it usually goes back and forth. It creates this competition or battle, right? Well, oh, well, you hurt me. So now I'm going to do it back to you, but even worse. Yeah, it it escalates. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't get better. Nothing ever gets better. Um, It's really hard. Uh, that, so to me, holding on to it, like grudges, and I, I haven't really seen that work out. And I've seen people let go of some really intense dynamics when they've worked through a lot of the trauma. And I mean, it's a, it, this is a very hard principle, uh, is they've offered forgiveness, mm. but a lot of people misunderstand forgiveness. And so to me, I, Again, I'm going to set aside my my Christian worldview for a moment. Okay, I've yeah, to, to, let's with, let's talk about forgiveness because I think this is a really like just the people I talk to and even in my own life, like this is a hard sticking point. They're like, can I forgive and forget? And like, I don't want to let them back into my life because because this person's hurt me. And so I think this is uh, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm I'm excited to hear about this because I think this is really hard for some people. So, yeah, and it is hard. Like that, just flat out. We just need to start there by saying forgiveness. No, it's not supposed to be quote unquote easy. So if you're thinking about forgiving somebody, you're considering doing something that's incredibly strong. Once again, it's this thing that doesn't look like it's strong because it seems like you're quitting or you're giving up. It's not the case at all. Um, here, here's kind of the analogy that I've really appreciated is that let's say that you wanted to borrow my car. And I said, sure, you can borrow my car. So give you the keys to my car. Let's say that you go out and in one situation, you accidentally crash it. But let's say, let's put that one aside. Let's say the second situation, you purposely crash it. Let's say you drive down the road, you look over your shoulder at me and go, and you slam it right into a tree. And then you get out of the car and then you walk back up to me uh, and say, hey man, I'm really sorry. I don't know what happened there. And now, there's a whole lot of dynamic that you and I have got to deal with, and, and there's a dynamic that we've got to deal with in the car. So 
let's say that we're, you, you did that at my house and I have the next garage and I have my other car and you were like, Hey man, really sorry. Uh, could I borrow your other car? It would be a totally appropriate thing for me to say, no, you can't. And that's exactly relating to people when they think, oh, if I forgive you, I have to let you back into my life. No, not at all. Not at all. Forgiveness is about the damage that's already been done. It's not about what a future relationship might look like. So you mm. can forgive somebody and have zero relationship with them moving forward. The difference between forgiveness and what we're talking about there with renewed relationship, that's called reconciliation. Mm. Like we've reconciled. We're good again. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll get, maybe we'll throw that or we'll run through that scenario. But to forgive would mean, let's say that you did that. And you were like, oh, you're a jerk. You're not going to let me borrow your other car. And I said, no, I can't trust you that you're going to borrow. The, you're not going to hurt my second car. And let's say you walk away. Well, okay, I'm safe now because you're not going to damage any more of my vehicles, but I still have a car smashed into a tree. And I have a choice about what I'm going to do with that. Mm. I can come after you and try to make you pay for it. And that would be really difficult and that might go really crazy and it might be awesome. I don't know how that will go, but let's say that I said, hey, you know, the right thing to do would be for you to fix this. And you're like, screw off, man. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it. I'm making you out to be the bad guy. Here, so <laughs> it's not, all good. I'm just, we could be somebody, be somebody else. But I have a question about whether or not, if you decide that you're not going to help with the car, I have to figure out what I'm going to do about it. And here's the deal. The forgiveness part doesn't mean the car gets better, but here's what it is. It's saying you owe me the price of fixing that car. That's justice. Forgiveness says, I'm going to forgive that debt you owe me. Mm. And it's very conscious. It's not like whatever. It's acknowledging, you know, maybe that was $5,000 worth of damage. You owe me $5,000 worth of pain. You owe me, and it's hard to quantify pain, mm -hmm. but I'm just trying to use an analogy. Forgiveness is saying, I release you of the debt you owe me. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't mean the car's better. It doesn't mean I should let you drive any other cars. It doesn't mean that what, ha that what happened was okay. Right. Yeah. It wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. No no questions. It wasn't okay. It was totally unhealthy, wrong. It's easier to forgive if you did it by accident, but we still have a broken car. So when reconciliation, just very quickly, reconciliation would be like you coming up going, Jake, I'm so sorry. I lost, I, I was glancing over here, then a dog ran out and I turned and I hit the tree. Reconciliation would be you coming back and saying, you know, like, I, I am really sorry, and I want to make this right. I will do whatever I can to make this right. All I have is $4,500. And I, I, that's all, literally all I can give you. And I will give you all of that to help this, but I literally have nothing else. I could say, I forgive you the other 500. And... I'm going to let you drive my next car because of how you responded to me mm. and how hard you worked to fix the first one. Yeah. Right. I can trust you again. Now I'm willing to trust you again and give you my keys again. Cause I know you didn't do it on purpose and you, you tried to help make it better. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's really helpful because forgiveness, it sounds like what you're saying is uh, reconciliation takes both people. Forgiveness just takes you. Right? right. And so I don't need to reconcile with this person that hurts me. 
But I do need to forgive if I want to move past this. Um, And I think that's also helpful for if we are the offender, you know, recognizing that, you know, I can, I can try to reconcile. (laughs) Maybe that person doesn't want to reconcile with me. And also it makes me think of my relationship with God. Like some people are like, oh, I know God forgives me. Okay. But have you reconciled with God? Right. (laughs) Have you actually gone and in prayer, in the sacrament, like brought yourself to God? Because I know with me and my wife, like I can stuff can happen between us and I know that she forgives me and she knows that I forgive her. But to speak about it and to bring it out in the open, that's an entirely different thing. And so yeah. I think this, this distinction is really helpful. And it, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of like what Jesus says about love. When Jesus yeah. says, love your enemies, he doesn't mean have good fuzzy feelings towards your enemies. He means, right. you know, love them in charity, even if you don't have those yeah. warm fuzzy feelings. And so forgiving someone doesn't mean it doesn't hurt me anymore. It doesn't mean I don't think about it anymore. I don't protect myself by setting up good boundaries. Forgiveness right. means, like you said, I'm, I'm letting go of this, of this debt or trying to, and that happens. Like if you, if you when Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas talk about right. our, our souls, like the different parts right. of our, our, our rational parts of our souls, they talk about the will which is like yes. what, what makes your decision. So forgiveness, as you're talking about, happens in your will. It's a decision you make. But then that's there's right. this other irrational part of your soul called your passions. And that's how you yes. feel. And that is what, what protects us. And so right. forgiveness in your will is a decision you make. For yes. you know How you feel about the person in your passions is more yes. an emotional journey that's, that's going to happen. You know, that's, that's, that's a much longer yes. process, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. My phone's off. I oh. turned my sound off. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, what you're saying there, I think, is really like it's 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 there's a lot of value in the nuancing there because forgiveness can get really confusing. So you know, let's take it like if we pull it back to Batman. The question remains: like, what would happen if Batman forgave the person who killed his parents? Yeah. You know, that's just a giant question. Now, here's the first thing that it would do. It would not make for really cool movies. <laughs> like all the movies would be totally out the window. But one of the things I think that could have happened is that the pain of the loss of his parents still remains. Even if he forgives the Joker and he goes, I'm not going to go back and seek vengeance. He still has to address all the dynamics, all mm-hmm. the loss, all the dynamics that came up with his fear and all that other stuff. So um, the thing that I want to kind of maybe throw out to people, because there is this justice thing that we all have, and it's appropriate. Like the mm. justice thing is appropriate. Like when when you go, but hold on, like I'm just not going to let them get off scot-free. You're right, because that's unjust. And that's why forgiveness is a radical thing. Yeah. But if we take it into the spiritual realm, so I'm just going to say, like, let's imagine that we had glasses that we could put on and these glasses let us see what's going on in the spiritual realm. Um, And just as a footnote, I adamantly believe and have a ton of experiences that confirm that there are things that exist that we cannot see with our physical eyes. Mm -hmm. So what if Batman is actually more like in the spiritual realm where in the spiritual realm, there's, there's no mercy. There's no forgiveness. It's all out battle. Mm. It's all at war. And so in that realm, it's like, if the evil are like 
demons and this other loose connection. Batman's like Jesus. It's like, go get him, man. Go yeah. Tear mm-hmm. him up. Go mm-hmm. destroy him. <laughs> like, yeah. Because it's a, it's not human anymore and it's in a different realm. So I thought about that a little bit. Maybe that's a stretch. But. No, but I, th- I see as Lewis talks about that, like in his space trilogy or whatever, like when he's in like the screw tape letters, he's like, you know, when you're, when you're dealing on the spiritual level, like demons, their choices are eternal. Like they're not coming back, you know? And so yeah. there's, there's like, you don't, you don't need to worry about forgiving the devil. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. your, Bring that's your, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> one, one other thing I was going to say is um, one of the other ways that I think that, well, well, I'll get. To, I want to talk about Ra's al Ghul just a little bit, but when you were talking about healing and um, resilience, when uh, and this is in the Christopher Nolan movies, portrayed really beautifully. When Bruce, as a child, he falls down the well, and the bats come through, and that's why he's scared of bats. But his father comes down and he picks him up, and he says, "Bruce, why do we fall?" And the answer is, "So we can get back up." And Arthur reminds him, or I'm sorry, I keep saying Arthur, but it's Alfred. <laughs> Alfred, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Alfred reminds him of that later, and uh, just that idea that that sort of resilience. But notice that that comes from the relationship. It's not just I'm a man and I'm a manly man with a dark voice, and so I'm going to pick myself back up. Where is she? You know. <laughs> totally, totally, so, yeah. so I think there's that real. Um, that is an excellent yeah. example, Mike. Yeah. That's an excellent example of resilience because resilience is different than self-reliance. Mm. And I think that's what you're nuancing. Self-reliance yes. is, I don't need anybody. I can do everything. And there's a, there's, a, there's a draw there because it'd be awesome to not need anybody. Why? Because then I won't get hurt again. Yes. Like that's why it's exciting to think about being self, you know, self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. I have all the money I need. I don't need anything from anybody. I got all the pleasure in it, all the... Because then you're like, now I don't need anything and I can't get hurt. I don't feel empty. Well, in that, Again, so, that yeah, so in th- this is a perfect segue into Ra's al Ghul because that's the lesson that Ra's al Ghul tries to teach Batman is you have to become more than the man. You have to become an idea and you have to become, it, it's very Nietzsche. And if you've ever studied Nietzsche philosophy, yeah. like this will to power, you become the Ubermensch more than a man that you can overpower. And I, the way I see this applying to our lives is some people respond to trauma and evil in the world um, with this desire to control everything, right? Um, can can you speak to that a little bit from a, a psychological background? Well, yeah. I mean, usually, and again, this is this is it's hard to speak generically because it's not always the case. But so we can speak in just acknowledging that this is a generalization. Usually control is rooted in fear. Ooh, say that again. (laughs) Yeah, usually control is rooted in fear. Okay. Because I need to ensure something goes a particular way because I'm afraid of what happens if it doesn't. Mm. And so what you end up getting is is people who become control freaks. Um, And if you notice, those people are often very anxious. Yes. And what's going on is they're afraid like it it's it it deserves a compassionate response although what they usually get is irritation from other people like being friends with a control freak can be hard at times because yeah they're very controlling right but if you can see past the mask if you can see past the dynamic that's right in front of you which is control they're usually very very scared and very afraid people I, i would even argue it's usually like inside of them as like a scared kid. 
Mm-hmm. And that scared kid is kind of, it's kind of like inside out. That scared kid is like pushing buttons and levers and going, make sure this doesn't happen again. This yeah. is really scary. Don't let me experience this again. And I would actually argue that some of that's going on with Batman. That part of why Batman becomes Batman from a large 30,000 foot view is because he's afraid of evil. Yeah. He doesn't want evil around anymore because of look at what it did. It took the most precious things in his life, which were his mom and his dad and then his city. And so I think an element of what's going on there is, is fear. And, and I think for us, as you know, we relate to Batman and, and various characters, why we love these kinds of movies, I think is because someone has gotten over their fear mm-hmm. and they're conquering fear. Yeah. And that is inherently as humans, we're like, yes, man, do that. Cause I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to not be bound up by fear. And, and that's really inspiring when we can do that. But control is often fear-based. I think, I think you're right. And what is, what does Batman often say? Gotham needs me, right? It needs me. I'm the one that needs to fix it. I can, if I have the right gadgets and I can fight well enough. And if I can, if I can be a good enough detective, like I can figure out, you know, and I, I can kind of mastermind this when you were talking about control. Like I, I'm, I'm generally a pretty easy go with the flow person, but um, again, and this is something I've, I've been working through with a therapist the last couple of months is, you know, if you ask people and if you ask me, like they would say Mike Tenney, confident guy. And like, I've always been like, yeah, I'm a confident guy, self-assured. But what I've realized is like, what I'm really confident in is my ability to get people to like me. Like <laughs> I, wow. Wow. I can, I'm really good at getting people to like me and being personable. And with those moments when, and especially in those most intimate relationships where it's harder to always feel like you're being liked all all the time, you know, um, people with your family, like that is when like, Oh, I, I, I can't get this person to always think I'm like a rock star or whatever. And Mm -hmm. just kind of realizing like, Oh, I've thought of myself as a confident man for like 20 years, but really maybe I'm not as confident as I thought. And so it's, it's forced me to go inside and go back to prayer and kind of go back to some things. And, um, I don't know. I feel like every five or 10 years, God has to rock my world and like teach me to trust him again. And I feel like that's happening right now with me. So anyway, that's just, that's just what made me, made me think about that. That's a great example of the mask stuff just mm -hmm. very quickly. It's like, I've got to do it a certain way so that then I can, you know, and you're, you're realizing the mask dynamic. So yeah, I think that's just a cool example. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about identity. Uh, when I was watching the Christopher Nolan uh, movies, there's this really interesting scene between Rachel, who's his like childhood, uh, you know, girlfriend, love interest, yeah. and then Bruce Wayne. And uh, she sees him coming out of the party, you know, soaking wet with two supermodels who were just swimming in like the yeah. pool. And uh, she's like just shaking her head at him. And he's like, this isn't who I am, Rachel. And uh, she says, uh, it's not who you are underneath that matters. It's your actions that define you is what she says to him. And yeah. he says, and at the end, he like reveals his identity to her with that same line. Like when he's in the mask and everything, yeah. he says, it's who I am underneath that defines me basically yeah. revealing like I am acting, you know, for yeah, justice. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not just writing this. Yeah. yeah. I'm just yeah. not doing it as Bruce Wayne. I'm doing it as Batman. So, 
and I, I think there is so much confusion about identity and where our identity comes mm. from and what is our identity. And I think I've even heard, and maybe this was on Restore the Glory or somewhere else, but I've heard that like growing up in adolescence, like one of the core things we have to figure out is our identity and who are we? And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like, what are healthy ways that we can find our identity um, emotionally and also just, uh, you know, spiritually in the church? And that's an awesome question. Um, I, I just, I love that you're bringing it up because I would say that right now, a lot of what's going on that young people are, are looking at, well, everybody, but it's particularly targeted young people right now, centers around identity. And I think what's interesting is that, uh, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, it was really hard to take a stand for something that was different than the crowd. Mm. Um, and, and so I went along with, because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be received. I, I didn't want to be on the outsides. And that taking a stand for something is a key part of identity. Like, I would agree that your actions reveal your identity because another way to put it would be your actions reveal what you actually believe. Mm. They reveal what actually matters to you. And so when I'm in, you know, I can remember so many times being in high school where I, I kind of went along maybe with making fun of the person where something inside of me was like, I don't want to do this and I don't want to be like this. So what my actions told me in that moment was I care more about being liked than, than doing what is right. Ooh. And so in that moment, that's something that, you know, let's say that I left that day and I went home and went, man, I don't like how I just behaved right there. I have a really critical identity crossroad right in that moment where I have to take a stand and decide what am I all about? this concept of what am I all about? You categorize all that. And that's what people call personal values. Like, what are your values? What do you value? Your actions reveal what you value. And so identity is to me deeper than values, but your values flow out of identity. So for me, identity is either, am I beloved or am I not? Am Ooh. I all alone? Wow. Am I loved? Or is it all up to me? Mm. And so the the Catholic world would put that as a beloved son of the father versus an orphan. And I, and I mean that more in the spiritual sense, but it manifests in the literal sense as well. And so, I mean, just think about it. If I have an amazing upbringing and my mom and dad did a really awesome job and they loved me really well, but they also challenge me to be a good person, et cetera. And then I take that on and go, this is who I'm going to be. Um, and I, and I go into situations that are difficult. What's really critical in that situation is knowing that I'm loved. So if this situation doesn't go well, I know I've always got a backup. I know I've always got people there that will love me no matter what. And that's one of the best things about Christianity is it's absolutely unconditional acceptance and love that is so good, that's so much that it's, I'm, I don't want you to stay in this space of, oh, it doesn't really matter. It does matter where you mature into becoming someone great versus what I call an orphan. An orphan is like, there's nobody here. There's nobody here to take care of me. There's nobody here to help me. It's all up to me. And if anything good's going to happen, I have to do it. 
man, sorry, that's a stupid thing. If anything good's going to happen, I have to do it. It's, uh, it's all up to me. You know, that is like torturous. Like that's yeah. awful. Well, and Bruce, Bruce always competing and fighting and yeah. Yeah. Bruce Wayne is an orphan. Right. And what does he decide is it's all up to me, right? Gotham exactly. needs me. I need, I need to do it. And, uh, you know, it makes me think of, I think this is in Romans when it says, you know, it is through this spirit of adoption that we cry, Abba, Father. Um, right. And that God adopts us, you know, whether we've had great parents or terrible parents, all of us need to, to, to accept this adoption or we're living as spiritual orphans. Um, you know, and the normal Christian way that it happens is through our baptism is we are adopted into this family of faith and so that we can know that God loves us. And yes. at least in theory, although not always in practice, this church community, this church family is going to love me and support me. Um, and now I'm part of this family and beloved there too. Um, yeah. So I loved what you said, uh, that idea of um, our identity has to be founded in being either beloved child, son or daughter, or we're going to find that we're going to feel like we're orphans, that we're all alone and we got we to gotta face it. Man. Yeah. Wow. And think about that as an invitation. Like, what if, just playing what if games, what if there is a God who says, I want to love you in every part and the deepest parts and places of you where you don't think anybody else can love you? Like, what if that's real? And what if that's available? What if I don't have to do orphan? Wow. Like, that's just an intrigue. Like, whoa, that, that, what if that was true? Like something in our hearts. I know for me, it's just like, I like breathe in. I go, oh man, if that's possible. Yeah. It's the prodigal, it's the, it's the prodigal son, you know? Um, the other thing it makes me think of is uh, in all the gospels, there's only one place where God, the father speaks directly to Jesus. There's a few places where he speaks about Jesus, but there's one place he speaks directly to Jesus and it's at the baptism. And he says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. And so, uh, listeners, if you're listening to this and you're, you're like, wow, this is hitting my heart. Like uh, I would, a little recommended prayer meditation for you is after this episode's later uh, over, like find a time and just meditate on that passage from the baptism. And Jesus says the same thing to you. He says the same thing to me. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And that's, that's something I pray with all the time when I'm, I'm, when I'm struggling. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 We need uh, to know that we're beloved if we're ever going to work through stuff. So amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so we're almost out of time, but you mentioned okay. the Joker before. Can we talk about the Joker for a few minutes? <laughs> All right. So the Joker is this kind of, he's, he's portrayed different ways in different movies. He also has a, a million different people who have played him brilliantly. Um, yeah. But he's kind of this this agent of chaos. He just he never doesn't take the world seriously. He laughs at everything. He's kind of he's a terrorist. He's super right. cruel, um, abusive towards Harley Quinn. Like he's just this this awful person. But somehow we're fascinated with him. Yeah. Um, and then he wears this clown makeup, and a clown is supposed to be you know something entertaining to children, kind of innocent fun. Um, so and then we just had that Joker movie that came out with Joaquin Phoenix a year or two back, and it's just this, oh. he's he's made fun of and like nobody seems to understand him. Um, like even his therapist doesn't even seem to really understand him uh, yeah, and yeah, his, yeah. his family doesn't seem to understand him. And he just, he just kind of spirals into deeper and deeper into, into violence. Um, and so I'm, I'm, were there, were there things you wanted to oh, say about that just, specifically? Yeah. Well, what I love, especially the Joaquin Phoenix, like to me, that, that is one, that is an incredibly good movie. Again, there's, there's some dark parts to it, but What's interesting about that is that if you put 
Batman and Joker side by side, they have very similar stories. They have childhood wounds that significantly launched them into a particular way of life. I would argue without various interventions, Batman could have become the Joker easily. It's what wow. happened to him along the way. It's the follow-up. So if you look at Joaquin Phoenix in that movie, you walk along with him and you go, look at his mom. His mom's clearly mentally ill. The Joker has mental illness. None, none of that's his fault. And like the, the opening scenes in that movie, like I was almost in tears watching this guy. He's just desperate to have somebody care about him. And he has this disease where he has this, maybe it's Tourette's. I don't know exactly what people would diagnose. I can't remember if they say it in the movie, but he has uncontrollable laughter. And you see him like driving home on the subway and he's so depressed and he's starting to bond with this little kid and he's bonding with the kid and the kid's making faces and he makes the smiley face. And then his mom gets upset of him. He starts laughing and he can't help it because he laughs when he's anxious. It's like he's, it's out of his control. So he's, he's got so much shame in that moment and all he's getting is rejection and i'm like if you perpetually reject someone they will go to crazy extents to be noticed wow they'll do crazy things to get seen and i think that's exactly what happens to him he gets obsessed with uh bruce wayne senior he gets obsessed with or no what's the dad's thomas name? wayne thomas wayne anyway yeah yeah, yeah thomas yeah so when he goes and goes into the to the bathroom and tries to like, and, and all he gets is rejection. And I'm like, if you reject people perpetually, you'll get jokers. No wow. Question. Wow. Because we're made <clears throat> to be loved. And I have this weird appreciation for that movie because I go, oh, this poor guy. And there's so many people like him. He is just looking for somebody to love him. So he mm -hmm. has the fantasy about the girl, his neighbor. Mm -hmm. All he wants, he wants to be loved by somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He goes to work. They reject him, reject him, reject him. And what's the whole movie? Him finally being accepted. Where does he get accepted? Chaos. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so I think that there's a, that, that, that kind of blew my mind. Um, I, there's two things that makes me think of, think of is one, how many times have we, neglected, rejected, ignored somebody because they were annoying or a little bit awkward or a little bit weird. And like, just how many times have we done that? Not that that makes how they react. Okay. But just like how we hurt people. The second thing it makes me think of is who hasn't felt that way? Like who hasn't ever felt like the weird, the weird person who hasn't ever felt yeah. like, I think everybody has felt like the weird one out. The one that I don't know how to, I don't know what to do in this room. I don't know what to do in this situation. I really want to, this person to notice me and, 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 and I'm not noticed, you know, is where, uh, we're, it was just Ash Wednesday last week. And the gospel reading on Ash Wednesday is when you pray, don't do it on the street quarters to be noticed. Do it where only your father who sees you in secret notices and like right. so many of us feel unnoticed all the time and so we go through life spending an inordinate amount of energy like you said we act out what we interiorly believe because we're like notice me notice me notice me and i feel like right. what that passage is saying to us is jesus sees you he sees you when you go to pray 
the Lord sees you. You are beloved and he sees you. He notices even when nobody else does. So, um, you know, the passage could be confused and I think a lot of people misunderstand it. They'll hear that and they'll go, Oh, Jesus doesn't like what I do. He's telling me to go lock myself in a closet and only talk to God. No. Yeah. What he's saying is that I see that you long to be loved and seen. That's why you're going out and praying in public. The place where you will be most seen and most loved is with this relationship. Wow. So go there because that's where you'll get everything you've been longing for. And mm-hmm. that that's hard. I'm not saying that that, oh, yeah. that magically happens and unicorns appear and we go, yeah, <laughs> like if that's not reality. Yeah. But that is the truth about where we will get the longing mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. And well, and just, uh, I, I love that the way you said that, um, that he's not saying that we should never pray in public or do things in public. Cause a, a chapter earlier in the sermon on the Mount, he's telling us to be salt yeah. of the earth and light of the world and to not hide our light under a bushel. Like, so he's, he's not saying we shouldn't do stuff in public, but he's, I think you're right. He's, he's telling us like what you're seeking out there. That's not where you're going to find it. You're going to find it with me. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, well, we're running out of time here. So, uh, okay. What, I think we've talked about this already, but um, what is your Batman pick? If you like, who is who is your Batman of all time? Yeah, I'd have to say it's Christopher Nolan, in particular, Batman Begins. Yeah, like, me too. I I absolutely love that he's suffered, and he has to go on this journey of of recovery, if you will, or healing. So that one I love. And then I can't remember which one it is where, where his back's broken and he's in the cave. That's uh, Dark Knight Rises with Bane. Dark, That's right. the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that whole scene as well, when he has to like recover, then make the big leap and then get out of the cave that nobody's ever gotten out of before. Um, like those, I know I'm, I'm, I'm talking about both of them are Christopher Nolan, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to scenes because yeah. Christopher Nolan by far is the best one in my mind. But those scenes are so moving to me because I know what that's like. Wow. I know the process of having to go and try to experience transformation and that it's not easy, but it's worth it. Amen. And the scene where his back's broken and the guy holds him up and he starts doing push-ups and, and the guy, he's got a mentor. Again, it's relationship. He's got a guy with him who's going to accompany him and say, so you got to let go of the rope. Mm. Like what? That's insane. Who yeah. does that? Nobody does that. Right. So it's, again, it's this relational dynamic of recovery. So. All right. So my, my, my question for you is what's the gospel challenge here? Like what's, what's something, if, if somebody's listening to this right now and they want to walk away from this, unplug their earbuds, turn out, put their phone down and take something from this, what's, what's one simple thing that they can do to live this message? Um, I, uh, I think I'd boil it down to most simply as trust. And what I would say is that we all have masks. Um, we all have fears. We all struggle to know whether or not we're loved or accepted. And there's a God who says, I see you and I love you. And he's manifest himself in the person of Jesus. And that's not a fairy tale. Like Jesus really existed. And so I think the the question is, have I considered Jesus in this manner that he's very grounded, he's brilliant, and he's after my heart. Like he wants to be in a loving relationship with me so that he can give me everything I've longed for. It sounds too good to be true. But if that's available... 
I think that's worth considering and looking into. Like the phrase that I say to myself and other people is, do I think well enough of Jesus to trust him? Wow. And I think that's the invitation because he he's worthy of trust. And if, once you trust him, things start radically changing because then the pressure's off. You don't have to be the Batman in your life. You don't have to take care of everything. Control goes down because you have someone who's with you and says, I, I'm here with you. I'll never leave you. I want to give you everything you need. I will provide for you. I was with you in the pain. I want to heal those memories of brokenness. Like there's, I personally don't know anything better than being in a trusting relationship with Jesus. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say it any better. That is a great gospel challenge. (laughs) So, um, if you would, uh, so, uh, we're going to close out in prayer in a second. Um, but, uh, tell, tell the beautiful people where they can find you if they want to know more about Uh, Jake Kim. Yeah, they can, our our website where they can find out, you know, our ministry life restoration.ca. Um, you can go on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, Life Restoration Ministries. If you just search for that, it's like at Life Restoration Canada, various things like that. I'm on Instagram at Jake Kim. Um, I don't post a lot on Instagram. Um, I like just watching <laughs> I post randomly, yeah. uh, whatever. But if you want to see what we're doing, our Facebook and Instagram for our ministry, that's really. And then I'm on two podcasts. So Restore the Glory, the one we already talked about, but I also do one just for men that's called Way of the Heart. Nice. And so it's a podcast with a close friend of mine. So that's where you can really kind of hear more about what I talk about. So. Yeah. So I'll have all that in the show notes uh, for you. Um, you can find me at popculturecatechism.com or miketennymusic.com uh, and uh, all, all the places. So um, would you uh, please, I often ask my guests if they would close us out with a prayer, just kind of reflecting sure. on this. So if you would uh, close us out, that would be great. You bet. Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just want to invite everybody who's listening to just pause for a second and just set aside what you're thinking about or worried about or concerned about. And I pray that right now, Jesus, you are alive and well and you're good and you're true and you care. I pray that you would touch each and every person right now with some measure of your kindness and affection and care, and mercy. Help us to see you and know you, God. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Jake. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's like there were so many moments where my heart was just burning from what you said. So thank you so much. Check out Restore the Glory. Listeners, if you have appreciated this episode, I encourage you to share it with somebody. Share it with somebody you know who loves Batman or just somebody or just, you know, text it to them and say, I think you would really appreciate that. And of course, the best way that you can support this show is by becoming a patron. Go to popculturecatechism.com and you can pick one of six tiers of giving on a monthly level. Pick something that fits your budget, something that fits your tithe. And with that, not only are you helping keep the lights on and everything that happens here at uh, Awaken Catholic Studios and feeding our children and all those sorts of things, but also you get access to the exclusive content for every single episode. And right now in Lent 2020 is a great time to do that because because I am giving a Lenten lecture series on the greatest hits of Catholic spirituality, which is, we just got the first talk up and that is going all the way through Lent. So if you're looking to jumpstart your Lent, we're also uh, through the Awakened Catholic 
app. Um, a huge initiative this year, we're doing Awaken Your Lent. There's stuff going on every day. There's reflections from some of your favorite Catholic authors and podcasters and speakers. There's uh, the Daily Caller with two local priests that are giving reflections, the Daily Word with Nick Delatore, um, the Daily Saint uh, with Kevin. So there's lots of incredible, awesome stuff going on in the Awaken app that's there for pre. It's free for everybody, but uh, if you're a patron of a show uh, like this one, then you get all the premium content as well. But it's also just, if you're just down for the, the free version, you, it's also a great Christian community. So that's a great way to get involved. Jake, thank you. Listeners, thank you. We love you. Jesus loves you more. We'll see you next time.